This message is a recording from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space to practice the ways of Jesus together as the multi-ethnic family of God. Right. You might have noticed I bring my little Coke bottle here. I say little, but it's a literal, literally is a literal of Coke in there. I bring it because this morning in our service, uh, one of my friends that went to Mexico uh, brought me this Coca-Cola. So I've been sipping on it like all day, literally. But if you really know me, the people that really know me would know that I am addicted to Coca-Cola. And I am not ashamed to say it because the first step is to recognize you have a problem, right? Uh, so I have a problem with Coca-Cola. The the problem is that sometimes I feel that it's taking over a large part of my day. I don't know if you have felt that with something, right, where I wake up in the morning, I think, oh, when is going to be my next drink of Coca-Cola? Or, you know, I can't function during the day if I don't drink a Coca-Cola. Those who drink coffee would understand what I'm saying, right? And so when this happens, right, I decide to take breaks from drinking Coca-Cola. I wish I would do it because of health reasons, because it's really bad for you. It's really bad for me, but I do it because I don't like when something takes over, takes control like that over my day, so I decide to take breaks. Tell you this because when that break is done, that first sip I take after that break, after months of not drinking Coca-Cola, it hits you differently, right? It hits me differently. It like goes down my throat and just burns, and it's a good kind of burn, right? It just hits me in a different way. And, uh, you know, this is what I would describe when I heard that we were going to be talking about Oscar Romero. Whenever I hear about Oscar Romero, it's just something that hits me in a different way. And it's a good kind of way. It's something, it's that I can identify with this person, with this figure right away. One, obviously, because he's a Latino man like I am. But most importantly is because this man comes from the same places I come from. If you don't know me, my name is Jimmy Martinez. I'm one of the pastors at Neighborhood Ministries. I was born and raised in Honduras, Central America, which is neighboring El Salvador where Oscar Romero lived. Now, there is something about this man that I could identify right away with because I knew that this is a man that understood the struggles that people in that region faced, that people like my people faced. He understood and was witness and experienced the oppression and the violence that our people faced and that he understood the message that was needed at that time as well. He understood that the Bible, the biblical story, also has something to say to the realities that we face in our lives. And so for that reason, I can, I immediately I can identify with this person because I understand, right, that he knows the pain and the suffering of the people. And so it just hits me in a different way. And so before I, I, I start talking about this, I, I do want to express my gratitude again to the whole Kaleo family, to Pastor Aaron, to Pastor Chris, Pastor Kendall, and all of you for inviting me to speak again here. This is my second time speaking at Kaleo. So, but not only for your invitation to speak here today, but also I want to thank you for your friendship and your partnership in the works of the kingdom in our city. 
So I, I, I thank you for that. For making space not just to learn the ways of Jesus, but to practice the ways of Jesus as well. You know, one of the things I want to say is I, you know, um, brother, what is your name again? Donnie? You were saying, like, I hope that this song kind of leads into the message, right? Like, and that last song that you sing is perfect for that, this reckless love of God, right? And the song, you know, uh, it just hit me because it says you will leave the 99 and search for the one, right? And that, that is beautiful until we realize that what Jesus is asking there is that we would do the same. It's kind of unsettling sometimes, right? Oh, Jesus, you will go to that extent, but then we leave out the part where he turns to us and says, now you go do the same. It's a bit unsettling, right, what he is asking us to do. You know, I also want to give a shout-out before I launch in here, but I want to give a shout-out to my Hispanic-Latino community. Where's my people at? Raise your hands right there. Ooh, make some noise, right? As we celebrate the, the Hispanic Heritage Month, uh, which is an, a, a celebration in history and culture of our, the contributions of our communities here in the U.S., and this began in 1968, and you know that in the 1960s was the peak of the civil rights movement. And so there was this growing awareness of the multicultural identities here in the U.S. And so you will see a lot of celebrations happening, events around this history and contributions of our community. But most importantly, the food, right? Because we love food, and we have so much diversity in food from tacos to pupusas to Puerto Rican food. That's probably why we have problems with diabetes also in our community as well, because we just love to eat. But we just love coming around the table and sharing a meal together, which is also an image of the kingdom of God that we see in scriptures, right? It's one of the things that you guys will be doing after the service is coming around the table. But there's another reason why I love taking time to elevate this kind of things during the year. And it's because I believe that when we take this time to celebrate and elevate these contributions and voices and people from our community, what we're doing is that we're changing the narrative about our community. And we're raising awareness to the experience of the Latino community. The immigrant community has always struggled with narratives that say things like, and probably you have heard these things, they're only sending the bad people, the rapists. There's an invasion of people coming. They're only here to take our jobs and our benefits. These are things that are even said even recently, recently this uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, a politician here in AC repeated these words. They're sending only the bad people, the rapists, right? And this only serves their political agendas that are based on fear, right? That get us to see our brothers and sisters as enemies, as people that we should fear, you know, but what they choose to leave out is the 
U.S. is the United States' responsibility that contributed to the migration of the people from these countries. That was even happening in Oscar Romero's time. Right? In Honduras, where I come from, it was this international banana companies coming from the U.S. taking over the lands, right? the most fertile lands, and exploiting the lands, exploiting the people, and having so much influence in our country that they literally could decide who was going to be the next president. And if you wanted to be in that position, right, you got to be on the good side of these international companies. And then when you reach power, you had to grant them concessions, more land, more cheap labor. And so that has contributed to where we are today. But for some reason, they leave all that part out of these narratives, right? It is also unsettling the treatment of migrants that we're seeing today as we have seen in the news of these migrants being buzzed from one place to another with a complete disregard for, to their humanity and dignity and being used for their political agendas. It's truly unsettling to me to see and hear these things. But here's the thing, I think the, the gospel also unsettle us to see and to speak to the realities of society when we see what's happening to our brothers and sisters. And so that's why I love, I love that we sang that song, that reckless love of God, because it's, it's not just about like how we feel when we experience his love, but that he also calls us to take up our cross and follow him. Sometimes that would unsettle us, right? And so we want to change those narratives for one that says, it makes actually people see already that we are here not just to take but also to give. That we are contributors of this society and a blessing to this place. A narrative that says we matter. Amen. So a shout out to my brothers and sisters. And together, let's continue to change the narratives. It is also a time where we elevate voices of people that, we have, that have influenced our faith. And today, we continue to elevate the voice of Oscar Romero and his book, The Violence of Love. I told you I got pretty excited when I heard that this is what you guys are going through and talking about Oscar Romero, because that's my guy. You know, that he understands the, the, the experience of my people. And so I, I went back to listen to the previous messages to know where you guys were, right? And I believe that Pastor Chris did an amazing job with the introduction and laying down kind of like the context, right, and the time uh, in which Oscar Romero lived, the struggles and the violence that his people endured. And there's something in there that I heard in Pastor Chris' sermon that I think it grabbed my attention and, and something that I want to kind of continue to touch on today. And he said that we might feel a bit uncomfortable while we listen to this series and to these words. It might be a little bit unsettling. 
He said even the title of the book, The Violence of Love, right, can be a little bit unsettling. That language, we don't, sometimes we don't know what to do with that type of language. In fact, I think that if, many times we can feel like that when even when we read scripture, when we read the Bible, sometimes we can be unsettled by what he's saying, right? But I think Oscar Romero understood that the message of the gospel is one that comes to challenge us and leave us unsettled when we face such brokenness in our world. On April 16, 1978, Oscar Romero preached these words, and he's speaking to the church. So I, I think I have the first line in there. He, this is uh, one of his homilies, one of his sermons. This is what he said on that day. He said, a church that doesn't provoke any crisis, a gospel that doesn't unsettle, a word of God that doesn't get under anyone's skin, a word of God that doesn't touch the real sin, of the society in which it is being preached, what kind of gospel is that? Very nice, pious considerations that don't bother anyone. That's the way many would like preaching to be. Those preachers who avoid every thorny matter so as not to be harassed, so as not to have conflict or difficulties, do not light up the world they live in. The lectionary reading for that day, which he's mentioning uh, in the rest of this quote, is from Peter's first sermon. When he got up and, you know, the in his first sermon, he said, there's blood on your hands. You killed Jesus. You imagine being your first sermon. <laughs> the courage you have to have to stand before all those people and say, you you killed Jesus. There's blood in your hands. Right? It is the church that points out those things, the evil in the world. That's what Oscar Romero is speaking with these words. Man, and I read these words and I say, who talks like this today? I think we don't hear this language in churches very often anymore. We're used to hearing messages that bring us comfort rather than messages that unsettle us. Undoubtedly, these words by Oscar Romero can feel provoking, unsettling, and probably would encounter a lot of pushback today. Because the church has reduced the gospel to a message that only speaks comfort. We can talk about many issues, but we make sure that we always turn around, like, right, and land back into the message of comfort. Now, let me just say, because you might feel uncomfortable hearing those words, but let me just say that that is not wrong, because the gospel does bring us comfort and hope, right? But the, but the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God also comes to disrupt. It also comes to unsettle. It also comes to challenge us as individuals. But it also goes further and comes to challenge the ways of empire, the ways the systems and the principalities of evil at work in our world. That's what the kingdom comes to do. We see this in the life of Oscar Romero and we see it in the life of Jesus. 
Jesus wasn't afraid to challenge people even when it made him feel uncomfortable and unsettled. And this got him in trouble, even left him nailed to a cross. This is also what got Oscar Romero in trouble and ultimately led to his assassination. And so I want to give an example in Scripture how we see Jesus, right, uh, uh, doing these things. And you remember in Luke chapter 4, I'm not going to put it up there, I'm not going to read the story. Hopefully you remember, like, right, Luke chapter 4, where Jesus stands up and reads the scrolls of Isaiah. And he reads these words, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the captives free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if you can picture everybody saying, Amen. Right? The Bible says that after Jesus read these words, people were amazed at his words and spoke well of him, right? They were giving him praises and positive feedback, right? I think as preacher or preachers, if you're like me, I think we sometimes measure how good we did in our sermons by the positive reaction we get after. Has it ever happened to you? Right? When we hear the positive feedback, we think, man, we did good. But if we don't hear anything, man, we said, we blew it. Did I say something dumb? Because <laughs> we don't get the reaction that we're looking for. But I'm going to say that Jesus was different. Jesus was different. Turn to the person right next to you and say, Jesus was different. Woo. Jesus was different. He wasn't afraid to throw the monkey wrench in the conversation. Right? He wasn't afraid to go there in the conversation. He wasn't afraid to lose the popularity of the people and the praises of the people and the positive feedback of the people. He wasn't afraid to speak truth even when it unsettled and felt uncomfortable for the people. Jesus didn't speak only what people wanted to hear, but he spoke what people needed to hear. And I think that's what we need in many churches today. It's not just to preach to get the positive feedback and, and preach what people want to hear, but we need to speak truth and what we need to hear. Jesus, this is what Jesus does in this verse. He challenged them to understand that the work of God is for all nations. So they needed to reach out outside of their own people. They needed to reach to the margins, to the outsiders, and even to their enemies. So he uses two examples after he, everybody's amazed and everybody's giving him praise. Then he like throws the monkey wrench in the conversation, right? Like he's going to challenge them. He's not afraid to go there. So he uses these two examples. One, a widow of Sidon, a Gentile woman. And then a Syrian man called Naaman. Who, by the way, was the commander of the armies of Syria, which they considered to be their enemy. And this is who Jesus was 
bringing up. Why in the world would you use this man as a, an example? It created so much tension and chaos that it says, the Bible says that people wanted to throw him off a cliff and kill Jesus. But Jesus did it anyway. Another example is when Jesus encounters the woman at the well. And I know that, that Chris brought this example as well, this Samaritan woman. And I want to point out only a few things in this story because there's so much in the story. We're going to run out of time. But these things I want to point out, they're both a powerful image of the work of Jesus for reconciliation. But at the same time, it's also an image of how this work can unsettle us, can challenge us, right? And so this story, before Jesus encounters the woman, it says that Jesus was in the southern part of the country in Judea, right? He was in the southern part, and he heard that the Pharisees are talking about him and that he's gaining popularity, right? And they're even saying that Jesus is baptizing more people than John the Baptist. Then Jesus, right, doesn't have time for this. Ain't no one got time for that. That's what Jesus said, right? I'm not going to engage in that. And so he tells his disciples, let us go up north. They're in the southern part. Let us go up north to Galilee. And you have heard it say that the shortest distance between two points, between point A and point B, is a straight line. So they could have walked a straight line up north, but there was a problem. That right in the middle, there was this place called Samaria. And the Jews did everything in their power not to set foot in Samaria. Right? There was a great conflict at that time between Jews and Samaritans. Uh, they didn't like each other. They hated each other. The Jews would call the Samaritans unclean and unpure because they were of mixed race. They didn't look like them. They would call them heathens because they didn't believe the same things that they believed. But the scripture says that when Jesus told them, let us go up north to Galilee, Jesus also said, because we need to go to Samaria. We need to go to Samaria. If we talk reconciliation and we, talk, and we think about Samaria, what I hear in this word saying is that Jesus talked about Samaria. He told stories about Samaritans. He interacted with Samaritans and even healed Samaritans. But at this point, he says, now we need to go to Samaria. What I hear him saying when it comes to reconciliation is it's not enough for us just to talk about reconciliation. It is not enough for us just to preach and theologize about reconciliation. But at some point, we need to realize that we need to go to Samaria. We need to go where reconciliation is needed and where we are called to go, right? That is the unsettling thing is that we want to follow Jesus until we realize that following Jesus would even mean following him to Samaria, right? See, Jesus knows he's going to encounter this woman at the well. He already knows that. But I think the other reason why he needs to go to Samaria is because he wants his followers to follow him into Samaria. 
And so that's the first thing I want to point out in the story is that we need to go to Samaria. Even when that is uncomfortable for us. The second thing I want to point out, because you already know this story, right? So I'm not, I'm just pointing out the things here. But the second thing you would see in this story is that Jesus wasn't afraid to go against cultural norms. He went to a place called Samaria. He spoke to a Samaritan there. He spoke with a Samaritan woman who was by herself at the well. This went against all cultural norms of his time and society. He should not be there. And the woman that Jesus is talking to, she knows this. And she, and she reminds Jesus, hey, the cultural norm of our time says that we don't like each other. And that, that you should not be speaking to me at this time. But Jesus is not afraid to go against the cultural norms of society to reach out to this woman and do the work of reconciliation. It is this act that opens up the door for this woman to hear what Jesus has to say to her. Because she sees the extent that Jesus is willing to go to reach out to her. She felt that Jesus really cared for her. She felt seen and known by Jesus. But sometimes to do this work, to reach out, to do the works of reconciliation, you know where I'm going with this, will require for us to go against the cultural norms of our time and our society. If Jesus did it, it's not so that we would say, ah, where to go, Jesus. It should unsettle us because he's going to say, now you do the same. The third thing, and this is the final thing in this story I want to point out, but it's usually something that we kind of read really fast and move on from it, but I don't want us to miss this powerful picture that Jesus has given us here. And this is that when Jesus goes to the well to encounter this woman, he asks this woman for water. If you know the story, you will catch that Jesus didn't take a bucket or a cup to drink water out of. Essentially, what Jesus is asking of this woman is for her to use her cup, right? To take her bucket, to take the water out, and to use her cup, and to bring it to Jesus, and that he was going to be willing to drink out of that cup. He was willing to put his lips on that cup and drink from this water. Talk about going against the cultural norms of the time. What a powerful image that we are getting from Jesus here. 
You know, this was crazy. This, this, you're not supposed to be doing that. You can imagine if the disciples weren't there. It was so crazy that I think that that's why Jesus sent them to get some food. Because probably they, they wouldn't be able to understand the image that Jesus was doing there. That he would put his lips on this Samaritan woman's cup and drink from that water. That's crazy. In the 1950s and the 1960s in this country, there was a time of segregation. And it was a time of division based on your, the color of your skin or your race. Depending on where you live, you could see the signs of divisions in society everywhere you went. You would walk and there would be establishments that would have signs that would say, this is for white only. And this is for colored only. And I was, as I was thinking about this piece, I was thinking about this other image. And here, a, a photo that I was, once saw in, in a book. And it's this picture of these two water fountains. And, and one has a sign above it that says whites only and the other one says colors only this is something that unsettles me to see that it makes my heart heavy to know that the cultural norm said that this was normal that this was okay. The cultural norm said that the white person could not drink from that other fountain because those people were considered unclean and impure and less than human. But that that was the cultural norm. That, that was the accepted cultural norm. And see this image that we see up here? I think that that is exactly what the cup of the Samaritan woman represented for them. But if Jesus was in this picture, I believe what he would do, he would be willing to cross the line, that imaginary line, that imaginary boundary, and cross to the other side, to the other fountain. But not only pass to the other side, but he would be willing to drink from the fountain and show us the extent, the reckless love for us. And now you go do the same. That's what Jesus did. He drank from the cup. He put his lips on the cup. Now you go do the same. The gospel is what unsettled Oscar Romero to speak out for the campesinos, for the poor, for the vulnerable of his country. But he also reached out and let us not miss this. He also reached out to the army of the government, to those who they consider their enemies. And it was throwing like a lifeline to them saying, the violence you are perpetrating, 
you are doing it to your own brothers and sisters. Because it is the evil, it is, it, it is the principalities, it is the systems that are at work in the world that get us to see each other as enemies and people to fear. But Oscar Romero was so unsettled by this that he was even willing to cross that line and reach even his enemies. May we continue to follow Jesus even when we hear that following Jesus means taking our own cross and following him. May we continue to follow him even to places that might unsettle us like our own Samarias. Let me ask you today, where is your Samaria today? Where is that place that you say, I don't like those people? But in turn, it's the same place that they say, I don't like you. As the worship comes back on, would you lead us in a moment of worship? I want to invite us to a time where we take, where we breathe, and listen to the Spirit speak to us today. I want to invite you to close your eyes and take some deep breath as we enter in this time, but I want you to consider and pay attention to what unsettles you. How is the gospel unsettling you? And then I will close this out in prayer. So let us take a moment and meditate on how Jesus, how the message of the kingdom of God unsettles us. sustainer of life have mercy on us it is my prayer that these words that we just heard are coming from you may they provoke us they may they unsettle us and get under our skin teach us to speak your word that addresses the sin of society in our world that we may learn to speak not just what the world wants to hear but what we need to hear from you. May we light up the world with your light, Lord. Amen and amen. If this message encouraged you, let us know or share it with someone you know. For more information about Kaleo, visit kaleophx.com or follow us on social media at kaleophx.com.